Well, hello, and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. Uh, and in this episode, I will talk about No Bands Playing, No Flags Flying, um, which is a very, very short story by Robert A. Heinlein, um, published in Collier. So we're off of the future history stories for uh, the Saturday Evening Post and to some other short stories Heinlein wrote in 1947. Um, this one um, is, it's hard to place. It's it could be it essentially is kind of science fiction because it is set sometime in the future um world war one and world war two are mentioned but the war here is in southeast asia which is obviously not active yet in in 1947 um but a little predictive there uh, that's that's nice if if this is 20 years in the future Sounds about right, based on the age of the characters and their relationship to World War One and World War Two. Um, it fits about with uh, the Vietnam War in in its timelines. I, I guess this would be set in the '60s or so. It doesn't really matter though. Um, now, in this story, the foreword and the afterword by by Heinlein is actually kind of significant um, because he talks about how this was originally rejected by science fiction um, magazines as being not science fiction. And he makes a comment here, gee whiz and gosh wallacher, space warps and FTL are science fiction, but therapy and psychology are not. I must be in the wrong church, end quote. Which is, which is of course, uh, if, if you read like Astounding by, by Naval Ali's, that wonderful um, his biography of Astounding magazine, we know how much Heinlein thought psychology, uh, the mind, uh, and that stuff was crucial to, to our vision of the future. And we've seen stories where, where that is, of course, being enacted and, and played with already. Um, actually, quite a lot. It's, it's actually a fairly common theme of his. Um, so he does say that there's a shortcoming to the story, and, and he'll reveal the answer at the end. And he does, and what he reveals is that this is basically a true story. Um, so um, even though it's set in the future, it seems to be talking about World War II veterans, um, that's the, the sense. So our narrator here is is talking about. Oh, the narrator is is um, talking to a guy named Jones, and Jones and this other guy Arkwhite. Um, there's a bunch of characters named in the short story, but uh, Jones is the main kind of narrator of the tale. It, it's kind of nested because you, you have an introduction by the the real narrator of the story, and then mostly it's narrated by this Jones guy telling his story. He says, the bravest man I ever met, I'll tell you the story of him. Now, wh how, where are they doing this? Well, they're doing this like at a veterans hospital. And there's some politics here where Heinlein complains about the treatment of veterans, especially wounded veterans, how they get ignored. Um, quote, wars come and wars go, but the wounded, we have always had them with us and damn little attention they get between wars. If you bother to look, if you do, you can find some broken human remnants dating clear back to World War I in some of our wars. So they used to be part of some group that visits uh, these veterans on Sundays. So they're aware of that, um, where they're aware of this problem and they're, they're doing their part. They're like a charity or something, it seems. I, I'm not quite sure what the rule is, but they're visiting the veterans. And in the midst of this, they talk about bravery. 
And Jones uh, so brings up, I know, like, I'm going to tell you about the bravest men I ever know, I ever knew. And then um, these other, the narrator and others say, well, well, what's bravery? Can you define bravery? And then they get into some philosophy and psychology here. And basically the, the assumption here by, that Heinlein makes, I think, he's speaking through this Jones guy, is that if you don't have a choice in the matter, even if you're facing death, it's not bravery because you can't avoid it, right? Like if you, you know, <laughs> you know, if you're just sh like someone comes up and shoots you, it's not bravery to sit there and be shot, right? It, it's, it's just what happened to you. There's nothing you could do about it. Um, bravery comes, he says, in people having the choice to face death or face the likelihood of death and not chicken out and not do it and still do it. Um, he says, what that lad back there had is called fortitude. So he defines fortitude as like, you know, you accidentally fall off a cliff and you know you're going to die. That's fortitude. Um, the ability to endure adversity without losing your morale. He says that's common among soldiers, but bravery is a higher virtue. Um, it's the capacity to choose and face danger when you're, when you have to, you have to be frightened by it, right? So if you're a, reckless person who's not afraid of anything then you really can't be brave bravery is only possible there's like some aristotelian virtue ethics here to be sure um obviously there's some psychology here too that heinlein is trying to get at um i don't know what he doesn't really explain it but his preface makes it clear that he is trying to comment on psychology um but then he goes and tells his story so there was a fellow between war one and war two which I guess is because he mentioned World War One before, so I think it's World War One and World War Two, but of course this is set some years later, um, and they're talking about um, um, like these surgeries that these uh, that this soldier was going through due to some kind of spot on the lung. I, I, it's not really explained like where this injury came from. It seems to be some uh, sort of uh, illness that's that's picked up in this kind of conflict. I'll, I'll just read it. Um, maybe I'm really missing something. Um, he says, he writes, um, I was a young fellow bet myself between World War I and World War II, and I had been in a hospital much like the one Arkwright and Jones and I had visited, picked up a spot on my lung in the canal zone, and had been sent there for the cure. Mind you, there were years, that was years ago when lung therapy was primitive. No antibiotics, no specific drugs. The first thing they would try was a firmatectomy cut, the nerve that controls the diaphragm to immobilize the lungs and let it get well. If that didn't work, they used artificial pneumothorax, which is putting air in your lungs somehow or something. If that failed, they did a backdoor job, chop out some ribs and fit you with a corset. So this is the science fiction element, I suppose, is whatever is causing these injuries and this treatment for it. Um, the, the need to like prop up the lungs while they recovered. Why so many people are being afflicted with this, this injury is, is why it seems there's something going on uh, in this, this conflict that's in the backdrop. So then he proceeds to, t you know, and he talks about how you have to get this therapy every day until you get better or whatever. Then he talks about um, two patients out of a, of a large group of patients who have to get this, this type of surgery. And the first one named Saunders comes in kind of uh, happy. He's telling a dirty joke, but he dies on the table, right? Um, quote, the young doc did everything possible for him and sent him help while he was doing it. This 
tried him and that, used all the tricks, but the upshot was that they brought in the meat basket and carted him off to the morgue. So he dies, right? And then, um, so anyways, here's where the story gets a little bit weird because the, the doctor here is anxious. There's other patients in line. Um, and it seems like this doctor is maybe not going to be able to go through with it. And then this guy who was in the room, Joseph's, now, of course, the reader thinks it's just another patient who needs this treatment. He goes and volunteers to do it. And the way it's explained here is, you know that old business about sending a student pilot right back up after the first crack up? That was the shape of our young doctor was in. He had to get right back into it and prove to himself that he was just bad luck and not because he was a butcher. But he couldn't send himself back in. Joseph had to do it for him. So Joseph has to be the one who forces the doctor to go do the next treatment. Um, Joseph's could have ruined him professionally that moment and by backing out and giving him time to work up a real case of nerves, but instead Joseph forced his hand and made him do it. And then immediately we get Joseph's died on the table. So he also died. So this doctor uh, had two very unlikely deaths at his hands. All right. And that's when we get to uh, the conversation about who is brave in this situation. Um, but okay, first, there's another little bit where another one of the people who needs this treatment, a Colonel um, Hostetter, um, says, oh, I'll let my doctor do it. And then, no, 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 we're, we'll, we're going to take care of it. And, uh, and, and the surgeon successfully operates on Dr. or Colonel Hostetter. Um, and then that's when they have the conversation about, like, who's brave. And the immediate question is, well, Hostetter must be brave. Two patients die on the table, and he was willing to do it the third time. And... Um, and the answer is that he doesn't mean anything of the sort. He wasn't talking about Hostetter. He meant the intern. The doctor had to steady down and do the job not once but twice. Hostetter just had to hold still and let him do it. Uh, the point being, Hostetter had to have this surgery done at some point. So there's nothing really brave in. He doesn't have the choice, right? And that's um, when our narrator says, remember, I define bravery as requiring that a man had to have choice and chooses to be brave in spite of his own fear. The ward surgeon had the decisions forced on him. The surgeon couldn't be the brave one either because he had to do these surgeries. Um, Hostetter was an old man, bloodied in battle, and had Joseph's example to live up to. So he he was, uh, you know, he had to do that. He doesn't get first. There was bravery, I suppose, to that because he still could have went to his other doctor and did that. But but he doesn't get the first prize. The real brave person was this intern, this uh, um, Joseph's. Why? Because there was nothing wrong with him. He just sacrificed himself to steady the nerves of, of the doctor, right? Joseph's was brave, sure, but if it was hard for Joseph's to offer himself up, it was four times as hard for Hostetter. That'd be like looking jinx like a man didn't stand a chance of coming off the table alive. But the autopsy on Joseph's show, he didn't have the embolism that's being treated here, um, and he... And he actually died of fright. So he was truly frightened on the table. And that's the real reason he died on the table. He didn't die of the procedure itself. So it wasn't that the doctor made a mistake the second time. Uh, the doctor probably did it correctly the second time, but it was uh, Joseph died of nerves entirely. Um, still, I don't know why that wouldn't have still like freaked out the doctor. And I don't know how that achieves the job of like extending his nerves. But anyways, that um, is the story. And Highline saying this is a real story he, he heard of at some point. Just changed the setting a little bit. So um, 
that is what it is. It's it's fine. It's not that great. It's actually not the most well written of his stories. It's not doesn't go down as smooth as some others. I think it could have been um, maybe actually fleshed out a little bit and some things more quickly explained. He seemed had to really cram it into fifteen hundred words. I do think there's some space for this story to breathe a little bit more. But um, that's it. I don't have that much more to say about it, to be honest. I think it's, um, I, I mean, I take f the definition of bravery um, for what it is. I think it's fair enough that if you're forced in a situation, it, it's not bravery. You know, bravery does seem to require the choice to not do something, right? Um, but besides that, I don't see the, the deep psychology here. Yeah, like, yeah, people fright, get scared to death. Maybe that happens sometimes, but it's it's that I don't know. It, this is this is passable. This is this is a passable story. It, it seems to me. Um, now the next story we're going to talk about is uh, in the next episode will be they do it with mirrors, which will wrap up 1947 for us before we we zip on over to uh, Space Cadet and 1948. Um, this is a detective story that Heinlein tried writing, um, trying to venture out in a different field and a different genre. Um, so, a little bit longer story, a little bit more to chew on with that one, but uh, it may not, it's not science fiction. It's it's. But we're gonna see how Heinlein handles uh, uh, a mystery tale next. So, anyways, not too much to say about um, no no uh, band playing, no flags flying. The title obviously is a reference to the fact that this guy is not gonna have the the military funeral and everything, um, and bravery doesn't dying bravely doesn't really imply always that the person who gets the flags at his funeral is not always the bravest uh, among us so anyways uh it's it's world war ii post-world war ii reflection kind of story by heinlein and it's serviceable but but i ultimately think uh you can do without it so that's it for now uh, i'll see you next time